So yep. going back to the content influencer stuff, I, uh, a couple of questions I want to rapid fire here at you. Um, it, it, specifically, we're talking about, you know, brands who are looking to kind of level up their game. First of all, along the way, you've worked with some, you know, big brands, big names, uh, especially I'm, I'm sure at Group M, you know, what can you, do you mind sharing any of them or like talking about, you know, what that was like? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, probably over my career, over three, four hundred brands um, at this point. I mean, you know, just just in the past year, like over seventy five. So mm -hmm. definitely had been ra ramping up on the quantity in recent years. Um, I mean, some interesting ones. I mean, we did uh, this was my Periscope influencer company. We did a, a couple of deals with Warner Brothers, one in which was a six city tour with a cast of Creed. Um, oh, so really? Kind of combine them with some uh, Periscope influencers. So we did stuff with Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, Tessa Thompson, Ryan Coogler, um, which was super surreal. Um, but that was, you know, super nuanced. It was leveraging this periscope influencers built in audience leveraging their ability to hold the attention of an audience in a, in a live format which takes skill right there's certain skill and nuance to that type of content creation uh, which is really the whole focus of that that year and a half endeavor so that was really cool i coached mr t on his lines for a marriott <laughs> live stream campaign which is crazy uh also super surreal uh, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Was that he stuff was, intimidating working with profiles like that? I mean, he, he kind of noticed, I think that I was super intimidated. I was. And... Yeah. Or even with anybody, I mean, Mr. T is the most intimidating of them all, but right. Like even on Michael B. Jordan, knowing he wasn't, you know, big name at the time until he went into Creed, I'm assuming, but you know, does it, does it intimidate you working with at a professional level with names or, or brands like that? Yeah, to a certain extent, yeah, I think, I think, um, for sure, for sure, there, there's some of that. I think the more we started doing them, we did like doing red carpets. That was kind of a nice extension for live streaming. So Chris Hemsworth and uh, Jason Sudeikis. I was had a was conversating with like uh, Keenan Michael Key and. All, all these people. And yeah, I think over time you just get more comfortable. Mm -hmm. like uh, I think, I think yeah. it just comes with practice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that, that was kind of, uh, you know, an era where I was able to work with higher level celebrities. And then, you know, in recent years, it's really micro influencers, right? So we've worked with in the past 12 months, over 2000 TikTok influencers. So, that obviously requiring systems. I've got two creative directors on my team who are kind of going and selecting uh, every single creator that we work with manually. Uh, and then obviously I've got a team that helps with outreach and communications to make sure if there's any questions, those are being passed along. So, you know, I think from, from an industry-wide perspective, the, the nature of influencer has definitely changed there's more of an emphasis on the creation side, the creation uh, value that influencers bring to the table and less on the distribution. Why is this? There, there was a time, you know, 
I would say five plus years ago where there was major arbitrage in the lack of the influencer's ability to price their value appropriately. <laughs> in other words, they're getting smarter. <laughs> they're, well, they're, they're getting, they, they have gotten smarter, but to a point now where it's actually swung the pendulum too far completely on the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's absurd. Because now. now now they know their value and the marketers and the brands don't, right? Yeah. From a distribution side. Right. right? They they could see the content, but from a from the perspective of am I going to pay you for your media, your 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 sharing this content with your followers to reach them and draw drive consideration and drive sales. This is not clear. So, so you know, we've we, we get people coming back asking for outrageous rates with no reason whatsoever. You know, I studied finance in college, and it's like, you know, what, give me some rationale. Like, what, <laughs> what is this based on? What what historical data are you using to to come up with these numbers? So this is this is become harder. It's not impossible to to uh to drive a return on investment through an influencer campaign uh the way i look at it though is that you really need to look at the synergies that it that it provides with your other marketing initiatives and mainly that being through content how else can you use this content aside from that one time right that it's being posted right so this is where programmatic and white label boosting comes into play spark ads on TikTok, um and so on yeah, and there's a lot of different, a lot of different ways in which it can be used, and this kind of idea can be used. So, what would be your advice for? First of all, you're, you're saying now you're working on the micro influencer level, not to judge anybody by their follower count or anything, but what level of follower count are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, it all depends. I mean, we, so our our goal right now at UGC Factory, and I, again, I think this is systemic, and anybody that is, anybody that has an SMB, I mean, th this is. This is what I usually recommend. It's like, look, figure out how to optimize your paid, your paid. Start there, right? Like, think about your funnel. So if you, you know, how's your retargeting? Are you running retargeting ads? Okay, how are they performing? Right? These are places I kind of start, I start with, um, right? So if you have lower margins, you still want to run retargeting. Um, but for higher margin products, subscription products, um, you know, anything where you're actually, able to be profitable, uh, you know, running awareness campaign uh, ads, then it's like, okay, like, let's figure out how we optimize for content quality mm -hmm. and in quality, the ability to convert. So, so the number of views that a creator has, and I, again, I just did a whole, uh, I've been doing a kind of weekly, uh, weekly uh, series with the TikTok insiders community, kind of breaking down each uh, component of the process and last week was identification and the way that i uh, to kind of quickly summarize it's like you know i kind of posited the question what is the most important factor when evaluating a creator right so like alex i mean alex or dave i mean I'll kind of posit the question to you. So I know we just talked about views. What what else could you what else what else could you look at a creator and, and evaluate them based on? 
engagement of their own audience. Engagement. Yep. Yeah. I would say consistency in the views among different videos, uh, especially on TikTok, where yep. a person can have one viral video, get 20 million yep. views on it. They get several thousand, maybe a hundred thousand followers from it. But every video after that is a couple thousand views. Right. And it's like, yep. That was just their one moment, which nothing against them, but they just have that one moment. Um, yeah, I mean, the yep. So it's like average views and then average views without outliers. Yeah, it's like what's a median right? view count, basically. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, type of content, of course, is like the qualitative stuff rather than the quantitative stuff. Um, yep. Yeah. Some some other qualitative stuff usually is uh, their ability to speak, um, their attractiveness. Yeah. Right. Um, the, the, your ability to, um, to use trends, right? Like, do they understand the platform? Are they using native frameworks? So all these things, and there's, there's, there's more, there's a lot more, all these things are secondary factors, right? They're all secondary. The number one factor when, when looking to assess whether a creator is good or not, is their ability to produce content that converts. Yeah. That's all that matters. It's the bottom line. That's it. Now the catch 22 here is that you're not going to know that until you work with them. Right. Mm. So the, the whole, the whole name of the game here is doing low commitment tests with larger buckets of creators rapidly through that. You're going to understand, do they, I mean, first of all, can they create content that converts? You're also going to find out were they easy to work with? Yeah. Like, did they need extra handholding or based on that brief, did they just nail it? <laughs> How excited were they? Were they following back up with you as the brand or as the agency? Like, Hey, like I'd really love to do this again. The, you know, these are all secondary factors, but that's kind of our whole approach to the game. Right. And so like, you know, looking at, looking at that, right. Like we're seeing a huge shift in the creator economy, similar to like the movie Moneyball. Right. Remember Moneyball? Mm -hmm, yeah. uh, you know, the Oakland A's, Oakland A's had much less money to work with than the Yankees, but they asked the question, how could we beat them? Yeah. Get people how on base. <laughs> get people on base. Right. So they had to think differently knowing that, you know, similarly into, you know, liking this to the media space. If you're an SMB, you're not going to be better than a fortune, the fortune 500s, right? Because they're going to be spending, they've got much more capital much more, much more capital at their, at their, uh, at their fingertips. Like they're spending more on SaaS than, than your SMB is spending on, on media in a month. Right. So it's just, they're just, they're just operating much more efficiently. So, you know, for, you know, for the money ball, right. He was like, look, we need to think about, we have to, we have to forget these secondary factors. Who cares about how their swing looks? Who cares about how the content looks, <laughs> right? Like, who cares about the, their, their, their batting average? Who cares about the number of views average, yeah. right? It's really just who gets on base, which in then the media game is who can get dollars, who can convert, which in this case is not as easily gleaned as on base, on base percentage. Now that might change with a web three futuristic product. I mean, I've, I've kind of kicked this idea around with some folks, but you know, something on the blockchain where you have smart contracts, right? With, you know, let's say you're, you're working with brands. I know where you're going with this. Submit yeah. that. 
piece of content, right? And then obviously you'll know, okay, that piece of content through the smart contract, I know, okay, X amount of dollars. Yeah, pay per dollar generated, basically. That's the future model. That's actually genius. <laughs> that's, the, that, that, that's, I mean, whoever, whoever's able to pull that shit off is just going to destroy all these other stupid social media, you know, platforms, which are just basically regurgitating data of all these secondary factors. Yeah. And that's how everybody's searching for, right? It's like, oh, search for views and follower counts and, you know, none of the, like these, these all involve operating and testing and learning, right? And so, you know, where, where we're at is we've worked with over 2,000 unique creators who we've basically vetted using all those secondary factors. And now we know who are the ones that are driving sales, who are the ones who are easiest to work with and, you know, the, the most efficient at, um, uh, in terms of a cost perspective. So in other words, you're, you're recommending to the SMBs, right? Any brand out there looking to get involved in, in the influencer stuff, paid or organic, or hopefully both, uh, are the, the, the strategy should be to take a lot of micro bets on different ones and see which ones start to work out with all the secondary factors, but most importantly, that primary factor of which one's going to get you the conversions. Um, rather than look, let's look at the biggest influencer we yeah. can find and see who can get us the best ROI, pre, you know, predicted, right? It's, it's more so about trial and error. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, you know, there's nothing novel about that. I mean, that, that's been my position for like the sure. last five years. And I think that's, you know, generally now everybody's kind of on that same page. Um, but yeah, I think it's how you go about it. You gotta, you gotta find the money ball creators. You gotta find the people that nobody's looking at and that that's, that's the hard part. And that's what, you know, as an agency, we've gotten very good at, which is unearthing people who are not in these databases, right? Find the people that are hard to find. And a lot of that involves manual, manually going through and searching for having paying people to, to scroll through mm-hmm. the for you page mm-hmm. or people that are just going viral. Like we, I was, um, back in, back in March, I was scrolling through, this is back when I was actually scrolling and I was, you know, scrolling, seeing what was going on and saw this, saw this, uh, this girl was basically doing a before after her, of her eating gluten. And then like, she like, you know, had like, uh, crop top on and you saw, saw her like huge belly and this thing had like 9 million views. And I was like looking through her profile. I'm like, Oh wow. This is like part five of her before after gluten allergy series. So I reached out and it's actually, his, uh, her brother was running the account and they had just gone viral like a couple weeks back. And I was like, Hey, I, I've got a client called big ass brownies. <laughs> You can see where I'm going with this. We need to work. We need to get this girl a big ass brownie. <laughs> so we did a deal where I said, "Yeah, let's do, let's do." Uh, he's like, "I'll do, let's do a video for 500 bucks." I was like, "How about two for 700?" He's like, "Deal." Each of those video, those videos combined did 13 wow. million views. Crushed it, right? And all because it was right person, right place, right time. So that's doing different, right? And, and like, again, I could spend an hour just talking about this, but the big, the big mental model here 
in business to have a unique long-term competitive advantage, you need to have either something that's better or different. Better comes capital efficiency, not an SMB. Right. Different comes tactics, techniques, strategies, right? What is everybody doing? Okay. How can I approach this differently? Um, so from an identification perspective, it's doing all the, the, the stuff that's not easily scalable. It's doing the stuff that, you know, for us, we're sending 10,000 outbound emails a week to creators across all of our 30 plus campaigns. And we're, we're a lot of it's manually really? calling them. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of just email scraping. We're, we're using all these different, you know, combination of techniques and, 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 um, and tools to do it. And now we're beginning to explore what it looks like for doing uh, Instagram DMS. Um, but we don't even, we haven't even needed to right. get to that point yet. So because, because honestly, like, I mean, there's millions, millions and millions of relevant TikTok creators that you can extrapolate and extract uh, extract their emails uh, just based on so their profile. So what part of the process is automated? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Automation. So by automation, right, there, there are things... Ultimately, what we do is a very manual, it's a very manual, manually delivered uh, service, right? We have, to, we have to manually do a lot of things. So the automation comes in all the different ways that we can save time doing these things manually, mm. right? And it comes through batching, batch processing, right? It comes through leveraging uh experts that are doing things very specifically, right? Just doing identification, just doing, you know, email extraction and so on. So the automation, I think really is looking at the composite um, and saying, okay, how, how can we do this much more efficiently in <clears throat> um, mass? So I'm kind of curious about, and I asked this before the podcast, like talk about like the resources that are required to, to accomplish what you're doing. Cause it, Manual sounds nuts. <laughs> and I'd like to piggyback off of that because we're talking about brands listening here and taking that first step, knowing yeah. all those resources, do you recommend they do it in-house or work with a company like yourself? <laughs> yeah, and it's a great question. So all great questions. So, you know, for my agency, again, we've got right now 34 uh, clients on retainer. Our, our core package is we deliver 20 plus TikTok posts per month, right? And we, we achieve that by sending out 40 units or 40 whatevers, right? That we kind of are advising on and recommending to creators. So 40 shipped nets, 20 plus posted. That's like industry, industry wide. Like that is almost double what you'll see uh, in terms of follow through rate on, on product for post campaigns. We achieve this because we have a very intensive intake process and we have like a six step follow-up sequence. You can ask brands, I've, I've had many conversations with brands saying, yeah, we get like 20% follow through or that, that's if they're good. So we have like 60% as our average. Wow. So, you know, what I would recommend for brands starting out is it's very simple. You go on your for you page 
um, go, go on your for you page or, or just do a quick search on hashtags that are relevant to your, uh, to what you're doing and have a virtual assistant just literally scrape all those profiles of, of people that have used that, that hashtag and just keep doing that. So batch processing wise, just come up with a list of like 50, 50 hashtags and try to get, try to get, uh, niche in those like long tail hashtags. And then, okay, next step profiles, next step, find their emails, next up, email them. Right. And then manage that process after that. Right. So again, I, I usually say product for post is a great place to start. It's low commitment. It allows for you to test and learn in a way that's efficient. Some people might require 50, hundred bucks. Um, again, it's all a numbers game. It's all a numbers game. I mean, to get 40 shipped a month, we have to reach out to several thousand, two, 3000 creators that are all relevant just to find people that are open to product for post opportunities to find those money ball creators who are producing good stuff and are still willing to do it for product. And really it's all about finding the window of time where they've entered this TikTok space, probably because they heard this is a great way to make a good side income mm. and they're starting to create. And they know that one of the biggest positive signals they could, they could have to attract brands to pay them is to work with brands. So we come in and say, hey, we're going to give you this relevant product that we think is awesome. And it's awesome because I only work with awesome products. And we're going to also provide you a strategy that our TikTok in-house strategists come up with that we think is going to go potentially viral. So we make it a win-win, right? So that's kind of the goal is, you know, if you can do that in-house, fantastic. You're going to need systems to do it, right? There's just a lot of stuff that goes into it. Um, Dave, to your original question, I mean, resource-wise, I mean, we've got two in-house creative directors that do the strategy development and manually select every single person that applies to our campaign that we think is a really good fit. I've got uh, five virtual assistants that are doing all the other things, sourcing the, sourcing the creators uh, initially, identifying initially, uh, extracting emails, replying to emails with canned messaging because we've got all the different scenarios considered. Uh, fulfillment, uh, following up with creators who haven't posted yet, pulling all of the stats and all of the content, removing the content, the watermark from the content after it's been posted so that it can be uh, redistributed across other platforms. Following back up with creators if there are any questions. Um, affiliate, closing the loop, if that needs to be pushed. You're listing um, all the things that the VAs do right now. Yeah. Or is, wow, you must have rock star VAs. <laughs> They're great. Um, yeah. We have we have even better systems. That's awesome. Yeah, that that that's what it comes down to. Like you know, we've got really good SOPs. Um, yeah, and the VAs that you know have been working with me have been working with me for years, yeah. two three years. Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, really, it all depends. You know, you know, you can pull all this off by yourself, and I know brands that do this. Um, it really all depends on like where you want to prioritize your focus. Um, but I've found that content is becoming more and more a determining factor of success for e-commerce brands, and that's why I've positioned myself right in the center of that uh, with TikTok creators. Makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a very turnkey operation, it sounds like you have, which is really awesome. Um, it's almost like a 
you have a sales organization, but the idea is to go after the ideal customer, which is a creator. <laughs> um, but it's on behalf of the brand, which is awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of how I, I think about it as well, actually. Yeah, we're, we're kind of market makers in that sense. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so you talked a lot, or not a lot, but a little bit about um, communicating with the creators and then making sure that one of those secondary factors is they have strong communication uh, on developing the content. So selfishly, I want to ask about this because, you know, Dave and I have been agency owners for five or so years, myself and Dave, I don't know how many years, but um, I've personally seen an issue or a, a trouble uh, with getting, for example, clients to develop content the certain, you know, in a certain direction or, or method that I want. And typically it's always just better to kind of, you know, get the product or get the service or whatever it is and just build the content yourself in-house. Cause it's always, for me, I have always found it so hard to communicate like my feedback and put it into words on a specific piece of content or communicate my ideas or communicate that they're allowed to express themselves or, you know, run with their ideas. Right. So like what method or kind of principles do you kind of stick to when communicating like video ideas and content ideas? Um, do you always just kind of like make sure that you're hiring someone who is just a rock star at that? Or do you also kind of have to pick up the slack a little bit as well? Yeah. So Alex, your question, this is why step number one in the process is so important. It's developing the creative brief. And I think with communication, right, especially when it comes to communicating with teammates about what needs to happen, what needs to be achieved, clarity is of utmost importance. It's kind of the reason why I chose the name for my original agency, Lucid Marketing. Lucid, clear, uh, clarity being a huge uh, attribute of that word. So with our briefs, we always develop a quick summary about the brand, what we think are, what, what, what's, what's the quick way of describing this thing, right? And part of that is how do we get people interested in getting behind the product? That's like section number one. Section number two, the most important section is our frameworks, our examples, uh, our list of hooks. And I could probably do a screen share here. I don't know if it's going to help this podcast for the listeners but would it would it help in general if i did a quick screen share for you guys yeah go for it they can yeah, they can watch sure. the youtube version nice <laughs> all right let me do let me do that real quick we'll try and i'll try verbalize what we're looking at here. yeah i'll try to basically describe what, what we are looking at so here this is one we just approved this morning uh share this Okay. Uh, so this is a company that basically is selling, uh, they're basically selling uh, cannabinoids, right? Uh, legal cannabis. Um, so they've got like a, a e-com store and they're also doing some crazy innovations um, with like, like rapid absorption uh, edibles and things that I think this is actually going to make this like potentially an eight figure business. Um, having worked in the space long enough and like, why I took this on. Um, but at any rate, in terms of our creative briefs, we do, again, the, uh, the first section about the brand. So just kind of reading this here for the listeners, Mood isn't just another CBD store. They're a legal THC store. They're working on groundbreaking technology, including rapid onset edibles and Narcan for cannabis. 
they're just getting started. Narcan, by the way, Narcan for cannabis, basically like they, they're having, uh, they're, they're uh, about to put into production uh, a substance where you can take after you consume cannabis that will basically um, make you sober within 20 minutes. Like it will reverse the effect of cannabis. Um, <laughs> so you can like control how long you're high for basically. Yeah, or like maybe you took too much and you're like, oh, make it stop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if only we could do that with alcohol, the world would be a better place. Yeah, for sure. Um, so so that's the about the brand section. There's more stuff down there. But but yeah, so, so what's more important here, I would say the 80-20 here is the frameworks. So we always include four frameworks as suggestions right this is very suggestive when you work with product for post creators because you are not paying them so there's only so much you can do after you ship the product right so we kind of come come from a place of being helpful right so it's almost like hey like this stuff has worked well for other creators it might work well for you so we include four different frameworks for all of our uh, different, uh, different, uh, briefs we put together. That's just our preference. And for the listeners, this one, the first hook here, for example, is hook is POV. It's your first time smoking. I'm just going to read the notes that we included beneath the example video. And we do embed actual videos for each of these examples. So it's use a funny storytelling framework to talk about moods products, try them out and mention some benefits listed below. Uh, one is able to pick between tons of moods to fit your lifestyle. There's no nasty chemicals or pesticides. And then see more under our key selling points to mention section. So there's three more of those, but scrolling down, the third section is key selling points to mention. And we just list a whole bunch of things. This one happens to be a bit longer than most of our uh, key selling point sections, just because we did include a description about each of the moods just make it easier for them to find. And then there is a, uh, the last section is important things to remember. It's more of the technical uh, aspects of the video. So video duration, other brands don't include any other brands or logos. Text overlays, don't add them in any of the uh, restriction zones. Um, we actually deep link to a, uh, essentially an image that shows them where they should not be uh, where, where they should not be adding text overlays. And that essentially would just, we just conflict with like TikTok's <laughs> native UI. Um, right. So, yeah, so that's kind of how we do it. And, you know, put simply, like that's really all we should need to send, right? And, and we, we found that that's kind of the model. We try to keep it as concise as possible, not, not to be confusing, but again, to be as, sugge as suggestive and helpful as possible without feeling like it's so overbearing and so prescriptive or an overly prescriptive. So it's more descriptive and less prescriptive. Got it. Okay. Cause so that's, that was one of my questions. And what you just showed us is a very well-intentioned, like this is what we're looking for. And here's examples of it. Um, my question, I guess then is how do you balance that with the creators who obviously are going to have their own ideas and come back and say, I actually think this would be better if we did it this way, or if we said this instead of this. Um, do you kind of just allow them to grow how they want or? Yeah. I mean, if you do product for post, that's just going to happen. <laughs> like that's that people are just going to do whatever they want to do at the end of the day. Right. 
Now, whether you work with them again or not, right? That's, that's obviously going to depend on, you know, how, how well they delivered. Another huge factor, you know, if you're an SMB, you know, you might say, look, you know, during your first outreach, because our outreach is going to be very different than an SMB. An SMB is going to say, look, like, you know, we, you might come out and say, Hey, look, we want to hire some in-house creators or we want to look for people we want to pay. Right. So the, the, the true intention there is, Hey, like, you know, this is going to be our first low commitment transaction. And we want to, you know, we want, we want to find folks that, you know, potentially we can work with in a paid type of manner. We get a lot of people that come, come, come at us as an agency and, and say that, like, Hey, like I, I'd be yeah. willing to do this for this first one. If the, it will lead to more, it lead to a paid opportunity. For sure. So it's just like a job post almost. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're kind of just skipping the, that's, that's the interview, right? Like the interview is like how well you can execute. So, um, so yeah, so, so I think, you know, in that way, if you're paying people, you can be a lot more prescriptive, right? You can be a lot more controlling of the outcome. Mm-hmm. My whole thing that I, I mean, look, I've paid thousands, thousands of influencers and spent millions of dollars on influencer marketing. And I do not pay influencers today. I, I don't, I don't pay them. I don't do influencer marketing. I do, I do, we are delivering some paid UGC campaigns. The thing that we're kind of really exploring now is we're helping brands find their paid creators, their paid in-house creators. So we're kind of like a recruiting, uh, like a TikTok recruitment uh, service in that sense. So we'll, we'll basically say, hey, look, we're going to help you find nine creators and you'll do a paid one week test. They'll do five pieces of content to a unique TikTok profile. So we set up nine profiles. We set up nine unique uh, codes that will each be in a unique TikTok profile. We'll give each nine, each of the nine creators access to one of those profiles. And then we'll basically say, look, look go populate it. Populate with five videos. And we'll, we'll have a really good sense at that point who, who followed through. Like some might not even post all five or it might take longer than a week to post five. Sorry, that's taken into consideration. Number two, what's the quality like? Did they follow the brief? Right? Did like did they follow the brief? Number three, how's the quality of communication? Did they need a lot of hand holding? What's not? Number four, how did it perform organically on TikTok? Organic? Did some of, did some of these things go viral? And number five, mo- the most important one code usage did people actually buy from the content that they were posting so that's that's been kind of a new uh you know something we've, we've tested out with uh five clients uh up until this point we're actually running it with three clients right now so um so in that one obviously there is room to be a bit more prescriptive but we usually like to find this balance where we'll say look like pick of, of the five videos that you have to post, pick three or four of these hooks, like literally these. And then if you have anything that you feel really strong about from a trends perspective, you know, do one or two of those. And then per month, like whoever we want to hire, usually we do the rule of thirds, test nine, hire three. So the three you hire, they'll do 30 posts a month. And we usually say, look, that'll be 
uh, that'll be, you know, where you can essentially have more freedom to start testing things out. And, and ultimately you'll want to find creators that understand how to do it. Right. If, if when you're, when you're kind of at operating at that volume. Uh, first question I actually have there, do the creators actually know that they're kind of in a competition here? I usually like to, yeah, I, I say that up front in my outreach. I like to be super transparent. You know, uh, that's, there's no, there's no reason to not be honest. And I've usually found being upfront and honest results in good outcomes uh, in, in all walks of life. So because, and then, Dan, you said you're not doing influ paid influencer campaigns and you're only doing product for post. Is it safe to say then that anyone that doesn't find that value in that pay and that uh, product for post is I ideally not your customer, your fit your customer profile, and they're not worth your time anyways? So, so we are doing paid UGC, right? So we are doing the the, okay. the kind of in-house creator testing, and there are there are some campaigns we are currently running that we are uh, we are paying creators for UGC, mm -hmm. but influencer marketing by definition at least by my definition, you're paying for distribution, right? You're paying them to post, right? And mo most influencer marketing, they're also creating it, but sometimes you could pay somebody just to reshare something. That's influencer. Influencer marketing is talking about distribution. Yeah. And I'm less interested in about the distribution these days because it's not, there's much more efficient ways of reaching people when you have the ability to leverage right? Uh, media teams and, and extra tools and targeting and lists and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Especially on a tool like TikTok, that's not really as follower based as it is interest based. Right. Yeah. Dave, did you have a question? Um, I, I was almost kind of curious a bit more about the process of like, um, do you, are, are you kind of like helping, you're helping these brands hire that person as well. Are you kind of like coaching them? Like, these are the things you want to be looking to figure out. This is the right creator for you. But at a certain point, it's hands off. Like you guys are going to take care of this final step of, you know, choosing your creator. You know, we've basically sourced you the applicants for the position that you're looking for essentially. Yeah. So what we do with every campaign that we work on, uh, whether it's a paid UGC or a product for post or looking for in-house creators is we come up with a strategy, right? So that brief I just showed you, uh, that was for our product for post, but for a in-house creator, we're going to do not four examples. We'll usually do like 15 to 20 different frameworks along with notes so that there's a lot more there for that first month, right? So that they can really get off the ground in a way that's the client is not necessarily going to have to jump in right? And try to speak the TikTok language, right? So it's very clear from the get-go, hey, we've already done a lot of this research. And at the very least, go, we feel strongly that if you go off this as a, a starting place for prompts, you're going to be successful, like if you execute. So that's how we mitigate that. Cool. So to date, Dan, with, you know, like you said, you've done this with thousands of creators and influencers. What has been that you can tell us your biggest successful or success story with, you know, finding a creator that matches up with a brand? Yeah. So I, I definitely think it was the big ass brownies example. Okay. 
which again, super differentiated. Like it was spur of the moment. It's a it's an identification sourcing tactic that I don't think any brand should build their strategy around. But I think if you had a VA doing this uh, on the side, you know, you could have a home run. Like that, that's like a grand slam opportunity. And um, yeah, I mean that that one was just right place, right? I was you know on the on the feed at that time, the right person, and we had the right offer. Um, so so I think you know for us, we're not we're not necessarily looking for those grand slam opportunities. In fact, we're looking to get on base, right? Like mm-hmm. we're we're looking for singles, singles and doubles. We're not looking for home runs, but the home runs happen. Like we will you know in a campaign of we'll do a three month campaign and um, you know, we'll, we'll basically activate over 80 people over three months, right? So 20 plus per month. And, you know, over that, over that time span, we'll have usually three or four that go viral. And by viral, like usually I say like, you know, three quarter, uh, like, like half a million and over mm-hmm. views. Yeah. Is that something that you public publicly share that the link to that, that post that went, Viral, the brownie one. Is that something we could throw in? There? Yeah, I believe I believe that that is in a past uh, tweet that I have have shared. Okay, uh, I can I can chat you after. I can search for it and uh, maybe we can throw it in there for the audience to look at. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Um, awesome. So you know, as we begin to wrap up here, Dan, this has been amazing so far. Um, I have a personal question. What is one thing, like? in your field of expertise that generally people just don't agree with? Like, what is your hot take? I mean, we might've already touched on a couple of them so far. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Hot take, hot takes. Now I have to think what's hot. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> a, I have to start labeling things. I don't know. I mean, I think we covered, we covered, we covered some, of my opinions on like the future of media. I think, I think AR VR 10 years from now, I, I think if you're, if you're a marketer, like you're going to be shifting significantly to AR VR in 10 years from now. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're still in the game, um, I think, um, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about web three. If you don't understand how web three communities operate and are, and are influencing the younger generations as a marketer, you're missing out on a huge piece of the puzzle. It's one of the reasons why I still am in, you know, involved and in, in try to stay connected to like NFT communities um, or crypto communities. It's I mean, NFT community. NFT marketing is, is like marketing. It's purest. Yeah. I mean, tr- truly like you, you are selling vaporware. <laughs> Like right, like right. It's it's garbage, man. There, there's my hot take. There's my hot take. NFTs, ninety nine percent bullshit. Yep. Absolute bullshit. Um, marketing is ten times better than the product. Hundred <laughs> percent. Fantastic marketing. Shit product. Yeah. I think NFTs are going to be revolutionary. I think the more that I learn about how they're going to be so integral into the creator economy and how it's going to allow for super interesting things to be done creatively just from an artistic perspective is going to be so cool but the stuff that's being peddled now is all 
it's, it's not, none of it's really anything close to what that what that's going to look like. Yeah, it's a it's a it's funny how we we ended up there, but I think that's a great great couple of points to mention. So something that we like to do as we begin to wrap up uh, here and and close out the show with every every guest is. We ask uh, our signature question, if you could sit in a room with a bunch of mentors once every morning to help guide you, advise you on your day, who would be in that room? And they can be alive or dead. I'm sure Andy Warhol would be one of them. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. He's, he's a bit too weird, though. <laughs> he's a bit too weird. Uh, maybe, maybe years ago, I, I would have been... Uh, down for that i mean yeah i mean um i think one of the greatest artists that, that i look up to is uh, robert hinke he's the uh he's the inventor of ableton okay which is the kind of preferred music programming software and you know he is he's an artist he's an artist that He's, a, he's, a, he's an electronic artist that effectively saw that he couldn't do the things that he was thinking of because there's a limitation with what was possible from an engineering perspective. So he became an engineer, learned how to code, learned how to become an engineer, and he built Ableton, which is the most used tool to uh, for 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 essentially uh, electronic. Uh, music and beyond electronic music. I mean, it's really music composition, uh, digital music composition. So for me, that that's, you know, I have utmost respect. And some of the, the, the stuff that he's doing now is just so, so fascinating. Um, you know, he basically took five, he took computers that were built in like the late seventies and is now doing like a crazy audiovisual show. And I think there's like, eight megabytes, maybe six megabytes of processing on each computer. So he has to basically use two of them, three of them for music, one of them for visuals, <laughs> and then one of them to put everything together. But his major constraint was, I want to produce something new with old technology, knowing that this could have been done in the late 1970s could have been done, but would never have been done because it lacked the cultural context that exists today. So I, you know, he's somebody I've, I've met briefly and had conversations with at, at before talks, but he, he's somebody I would, you know, I, I think if, if, if having somebody like that in my life <clears throat> um, were a thing, it would force me to be a bit more disciplined at pursuing my creative projects, which I've kind of put on the back burner like one thing I want to do this year, it's on my list and it's still enough time to pull it off. Um, but like getting a seven figure business has been the priority. It's been the number one goal um, is doing, producing an audiovisual 3d virtual reality experience and upload it to YouTube. <laughs> there's, there's crazy 3d VR experiences that are on YouTube. Most people are not even thinking about this stuff, but have you ever experienced like, I don't know, like a, like a, like a real true 3D virtual reality experience yet? Uh, using a headset, very rarely, um, but I've seen a lot of the ones on YouTube, like you said, 
specifically like a good practical application of it is uh, when people are looking at housing or, um, you know, rental apartments, it's like a walkthrough, live walkthrough of your, your place. That's usually 360 video. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Flat. Yeah, but I've seen also 3D. like VR walkthroughs too. If you know it. In 3D? Um, I'm not sure. Probably not. Right. So, th- so yeah. So, again, this is where we're going. So, this is like nobody – like you're a marketer, right? And it's like like, like th- these, are, these are all media terms that we're all – like – yeah. Like this is all going to be stuff that's going to be like basic level stuff. And I can only imagine how this is going to relate to like buying media and all this stuff. But yeah, 3D means basically like you, there's depth to it. And and most most of the most of the, the VR content is 360 video or 180 video mm-hmm. and it's flat. Mm-hmm. Right? And the, the the device that's capturing it you know is is just taking a, a essentially pictures and stitching pictures together. Now there's 3D cameras, which are like twenty to thirty thousand dollars, if you're if you're getting like 4K resolution, and obviously few people have this mm-hmm. stuff, but there is stuff online <clears throat> from from a you know an actual camera perspective. But I think what's much more interesting is generative art. If you, you there there are programs online where you can generate stuff, like like 3D objects and stuff like this, <clears throat> and there's some freaking crazy like there's stuff that that exists online that you know i think is is well well well, it's already got my wheels turning about what what's going to be possible now in terms of thinking about like because right now like tiktok 2d picture moving video basic shit that that is going to be a whole different ball game 10 years from now and guess what tiktok going closing the loop on the tiktok versus meta (laughs) Uh, question: TikTok ain't doing shit yeah. compared with Meta. Meta is Meta is outspending every company in the world sure. right now on AR VR. Yeah. So when you say 3D VR, you're talking about typically right now it's like you put on a headset and you're just spinning, and that's a, like you said 180, whatever 360 degree. But 3D is you're walking through it, right, and you're experiencing the depth of that that three dimensional world with your headset on. 3D, 3D means there, there's depth. There's that third dimension, right? Now, now 360 video means I could turn anywhere and I see yeah. picture, right? And, and usually it's mapped in a way where it's, it's kind of like you're in a right, sphere. Right. That's typically how it's done, right? So it's basically taking like, you know, a, like a vertical video, imagine, right? Like this. And now it's, you have the whole view, the whole, um, your, your whole, your whole uh, perception of view, your whole field of view is filled with 360 video, but now there's also the ability to have add the third dimension of depth, which, you know, that, that's going to, that's going to be a slower adoption just because the cost of, of really it's, it's the cost of the, uh, the capturing technology is just so expensive, but the distribution technology already exists. It's fairly affordable. Like YouTube, (laughs) like straight up, like you, you could just go on YouTube right now and there's, 4k 3d vr stuff yeah interesting so for podcasts for instance there will be i mean that's that's a whole blue ocean opportunity right because once once more people have this they're gonna say hey like what am i do a 3d podcast like i mean do any of those exist right that that's gonna be a whole nother platform 
Yeah. Five to 10 yeah. years from now. VR podcasting. Interesting. Have to keep tabs on it. I yeah. mean, I'm sure we're going to see some remnants of what we see in like Ready Player One, for example, where you have people on like an Omni treadmill and you're able to just kind of walk through this 3D world, you know? Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. It's cool. awesome. Good stuff. Cool. So thank you so much, Dan, first of all, for, for coming today and you know, talking about all the different things we talked about. There's so much uh value here i think dave transmuted go ahead sorry dan you only gave us one guy you're only talking to one person in the morning (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh (laughs) reluctantly i would probably say my mother (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh i mean who else i mean probably my brother my father you know, my family, right? My, you know, start with your family. Um, you know, who else? I mean, you know, the, the whole thing of personalities is like, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know. It's hard, it's hard to know, like, if, if I actually would enjoy spending time with these people or, or vice versa. Um, I'd probably say friends, friends, certain friends that I don't get to see enough um yeah because that yeah that, that, that's what i would say um if the if the question is consistently every day that, you know what i mean um but you know i think the people that like are maybe one-offs or mentorships um you know those are people that i you know probably have already tried to reach out and connect <laughs> with um you know what i mean uh, or, or at least send an email because, you know, that's a huge part of what we do, right? Is just try to get, get somebody's attention. Um, I don't, I don't know if I, if I, if I, if I, uh, crawled out of that one, Dave, <laughs> is that, is that, uh, that's, the that's fair answer? enough, man. That's fine. There's not a perfect answer or an answer <laughs> or a style of answer that I'm looking for. I was just looking for more than one person. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, let's throw another name out. I mean, probably. I mean, hmm. Let's throw the Buddha in there, just just to, just to throw Buddha in. Uh, that yeah, uh, Siddhartha. Um, yeah, I wonder what that would be like. That mainly from from curiosity. Yeah, especially for from a meditative perspective, right? be some interesting stuff you could learn cool i like it all right well again dan thank you so much um where can everyone who's listening follow you get to know about more about yourself and you know ugc factory and all the other stuff you got going on sure so i'm probably most active on twitter and handles just my name dan reagan r-a-g-a-n uh you can uh you know, also uh, just go straight to our website, ugcfactory.io. And my email is dan at ugcfactory.io. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll throw those links in there and go check out Dan. If you liked what you heard in the past, you know, hour and a half, two hours, is so much good stuff here. And um, obviously, I personally have <laughs> learned how much you know what you're talking about in the past couple hours. So um, it's, you know, very awesome to get you on here and hopefully have you again someday. And uh, yeah, thank you again so much. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Dan. Take care.